This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12 as we continue this series, Portraits of Christ According to the Gospel of John. Hear the word of the Lord, John chapter 12. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have of worshiping you and listening to you. And we do open the ears of our hearts and eyes of our hearts so that we can hear and see what you would have for us today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is entitled, Four Things People Don't Understand About Jesus. Four things they just don't get. And uh, here they are. The four things are, first of all, anointed by a woman for burial. I don't get this story about Mary and how it has to do with burial. Or riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? What was that about? Or Messiah to suffer and die? Or why do some people refuse to believe? You'll be uh, interested to see what this chapter has to say about these four things people don't understand about Jesus. First of all, anointed by a woman for burial. You saw the context. The context was six days before Passover. Now, this is very important because Jesus will be our Passover lamb. He is going to be crucified on a cross and give his life as a sacrifice, just like a Passover lamb would be sacrificed. At that same time, Jesus is giving himself as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice on our behalf at Passover. He has six days to live. That really puts in perspective. If you only had six days to live, what would you do with your time? 
Well, one of the things Jesus chose to do with his time was visit his dearest friends, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, who were brothers and sisters. And so he enjoyed their company in Bethany, and it put him in position to go to Jerusalem for Passover. And that's no small thing. To go to Jerusalem at Passover is going to be the most courageous thing Jesus has ever done. Why? Because Jesus has already been put on the most wanted list by the religious leaders. They want to arrest him as soon as they spot him, and they want to have him killed. So for Jesus to show up in Jerusalem will be a bold thing, but Jesus will do it anyway, because he's going to force their hand to follow through, and when he dies on the cross, it'll be a victory. He won't die as a victim. He will die as a victor for our sin. So here's the context. There's this dinner in honor of Jesus, and who's there but Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. And when they were eating, the way they would eat would be they would lay down on their side and recline uh, on an elbow. And using their right hand, they would take the food and eat it. But their feet would be away from the uh, cloth on the table, on the floor. And, uh, and that's why Mary would be able to put perfume on Jesus' feet. He wasn't sitting at a table. It's not like Da Vinci's Last Supper, Supper portrait where they're all sitting nicely at a table. Back then, you laid on the ground on an elbow and you ate with your right hand and your feet were extended away from the blanket or whatever it was that was on the floor as the tablecloth, the floor cloth. So that's when Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume. Now, I went online to see what expensive perfume goes for these days. And it depends on what it's made out of and how rare it is and what craftsmen you know, put it together. But it could be up to $22,000 an ounce. And this was 12 ounces of perfume. And it says in the Bible that it was the equivalent of one year's salary. So take your salary when you made the most money and make that into one gift that you have for Jesus. That's how generous, that's how extravagant it was for Mary to pour this precious perfume on the feet of Jesus. Now, it wasn't just expensive, but also Mary did something unconventional. She lowered down her hair. You say, what? That's unconventional? Yes. Many women would have their hair up in a bun. Uh, they would not have their hair free-flowing because that was a sign of an immoral woman. And by the way, in the Gospels, we have Jesus being anointed uh, in each of the Gospels, three of the Gospels are referring to Mary, as in the Gospel of John, but the Gospel of Luke 
tells of another anointing by a prostitute that was not Mary. Let's have that clear. Mary was not a former prostitute. So Mary, uh, according to another scripture, anoints him on the head and on the feet. And so she is doing this as an act of love. I love you. I respect you. I worship you. I am anointing you and I'm lowering my hair and wiping that perfume on your feet with my hair like a paintbrush. And you know what a paintbrush is? It's horse hair and other hair. So she's using her hair to paint this perfume on Jesus' feet. In the meantime, Judas, who's a very dishonest man, as it's revealed by John, the beloved disciple, uh, is critical and says, what a sheer waste. We could have put that in our coffers and used it to help the poor. But John exposes that crook. He says he didn't say this because he was concerned about the poor. He said this because he was not only carrying the purse, but he was lifting money out of the purse. He was a purse lifter, a snatcher of our finances, and siphoning off money, putting it on the side for himself. John had his number. And it's so sad that Judas, who had such a distorted perspective, was critical of this act of love and devotion by Mary. Every time we see Mary, she's at Jesus' feet, sitting at Jesus' feet. What a picture of devotion. Now let's not get down on Martha, Martha is an example of always serving the Lord. And let's not forget Lazarus. Lazarus is an example of walking with the Lord and a, being a witness for the Lord. So each of the family members uh, represents something. Mary, the act of worship and adoration and love for the Lord. This teaches us a lot because Mary did not know the full significance of what she was doing. She thought she was saying to Jesus, I love you, I appreciate you, I'm thankful for you, and I worship you. But little did she realize she was anointing him for his burial. And that's what Jesus points out. He says to um, Judas, leave her alone. By the way, this is a great illustration of our Lord's present ministry. Satan is always accusing us and critical of us, and Jesus, who's our advocate with the Father, says, leave my child alone. Jesus is advocating for us. He is praying for us at the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus said it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, and he's quoting Deuteronomy 20, uh, 15, verse 11, but you will not always have me. Now this is very important because Jesus is not saying forget and neglect the poor, only focus on Jesus and on spiritual things, 
because that would not be Christ-like. Recently, uh, we had Ron Sider go home to be with the Lord. Some of you may recognize the name Ron Sider. He wrote a book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And um, this was back in 1977. And then he founded a group called Evangelicals for Social Action. And he firmly believed that you may have the right beliefs, but if you neglect the poor, you're denying God's teaching. God taught us to remember the poor, to care for those in need. I'm thankful that this church has recently taken up a, uh, an orphanage in Nairobi, Kenya called Hurt to Hope. Thank you, everybody here at Butte Bible Fellowship for being a part of supporting and helping the poor in Nairobi, Kenya. And we also give to the Salvation Army. And I know many of you, uh, when the situation is right, give to somebody that comes across your path that is in need. Some of you support uh, children through world vision. Whichever way you are doing it, you are concerned about the poor. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying the poor will always be around, will always have a need, but I'm only on earth for six more days. The window of opportunity to express love and appreciation for me and the preparation for what I'm going to go through on your behalf, I'm going to give my life as a sinless sacrifice for you to be forgiven, that window is closing and it's closing fast. And when I studied John chapter 12, I appreciated more than ever this whole concept of timing. How many of us want to say something good to somebody? We want to tell somebody how much they mean to us. We want to tell them how much we love them. And we don't get around to it. And then we regret it. It's too late. And we are feeling bitter about not telling people how much they meant to us. I meant to get around to it. I meant to tell you. And then we're at their funeral saying nice things, but they don't hear it. I have a little rule, and that is, if you have anything good to say, say it on the way. You know, tell people nice things about them that are true, not flattering, but tell them nice things while you can on the way. Don't save it all up and say, I'm going to tell you someday how much you mean to me. Tell them on the way. And by the way, when you give to the Lord, do you give as an act of love? That's the key. Jesus said, uh, the Bible says, the Bible, uh, Lord loves a cheerful giver. I was telling somebody that when I was in South Africa, when the offering was taken, the offering plates would be placed in the front of the church and everyone would get out of their seat and they would come dancing to place their gift in the offering plate. They were giving with a cheerful spirit, a cheerful heart, and that was pleasing unto the Lord. The second thing most people understand about Jesus is why did he ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? 
Now, we know this is Palm Sunday, John 12, 12 to 16. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival of Passover heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's a quote from Psalm 118, 25 and 26. Blessed is the king of Israel. Have you ever been at a large patriotic event? Uh, recently, Shirley and I were with my son and, and our daughter in love and our two grandkids, grandsons that are here, and we were at a parade in Monterey on the 4th of July. And we didn't, we didn't show up without a flag. We had several flags, and all of us were waving those flags. And I was watching my two-year-old grandson, Kaizen, as he was just smiling from the ear to ear. The fire trucks were passing. The bands were passing. And that is something of what we see here. There was a strong sense of nationalism as they're saying, here's our king, here's our deliverer, here's our conqueror. Finally, the Romans who have been oppressing us are going to be brought down. Long live the king, is what they're saying here. And the word Hosanna means save us. They're saying save us, save us, save us now. Salvation is now. But they're not thinking salvation of their soul. They're thinking salvation of their nation from the Romans, the Gentiles that are lording over them. They're saying, here's our new king. But Jesus came riding on a donkey. It says in John 12, 12 to 16, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. And that's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So in fulfillment of the scripture, Jesus came riding on the offspring of a donkey, a donkey that had never even been ridden. And why? Well, one is that he came humbly. Another is it represents peace. He came as the prince of peace. So to rule, he's not going to come in and conquer all the nations and take over as they expected. He's going to die on the cross so that our sin problem could be addressed and dealt with, and then we could have him as king in our hearts. That's the first priority. We don't have Jesus as king in our hearts, then we're not going to accept him if he was king of our country. And that would be our Lord's mission. And notice it says in verse 16, at first his disciples did not understand all this. Remember I talked about how people don't understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and uh, this stranger comes walking next to them, and uh, they're having a heated conversation. They don't notice him at first, but then they notice him, and uh, he says, what's all the hubbubaloo? 
And that's my uh, vernacular for what Jesus said to them. And they said, what? Are you a stranger to these parts and you don't know what happened? The one we thought was Messiah got executed on a cross. And now we're flabbergasted and befuddled. And uh, Jesus spoke to them from the law and the prophets explaining that the Messiah first had to suffer and then die for our sins. That was priority one, and they didn't understand at the time. But later, their eyes were opened and they understood these things. The Messiah had to suffer and die is the third thing most people don't understand, and that's what we were just talking about. If you look at verse 34, it's a good focal verse because the crowd said what their bias was. They spoke up and said, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So this is a very important concept. To the Jew, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to take over all the nations. He's going to make Jerusalem the capital of the universe and he's going to reign forever. If this is the Messiah then that's what's going to happen. He's going to defeat the nations, he's going to sit on the throne, making Jerusalem the capital of the universe, and he's going to be on that throne forever. That's their mentality. But Jesus was very clear. In fact, it says in John 12, 27 and 28, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The word troubled is a very key word. When Jesus was thinking that in six days he was going to go onto the cross and be a sacrifice for our sins, there was a sense of horror. There was a sense of repulsion. Why? Because he who knew no sin would become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never sinned. And what would be placed upon him? Every sin you and I ever did. Every sin that the whole world did. And this would cause him to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They'd be separated from the Father because of sin taking on our sin in our place, dying for our sin so we could be forgiven. He was troubled when he thought about this. And remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was so stressed that he perspired, he sweat drops of blood. And medical doctors have proven that when a human being is under extreme stress, it is possible to sweat blood. And he was saying, Father, if it be possible, take this cup away from me, this, drinking this cup of wrath for everybody's sin, but not my will, your will be done. And Jesus went to the cross. It's for that very purpose that he came to earth to die for our sins. John 12, 31, 33, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up on a cross, and there's going to accomplish two things of great importance. The devil will be defeated. 
and people will be saved because Christ went to the cross. And then John 12, 36, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. So when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Jesus made it very clear. The reason I came to earth was to die on the cross so that you could have your sins forgiven. Do you believe in me? Do you trust in me? Have you received me for the forgiveness of your sin? I am the light, but I'm soon not going to be here. Trust in me now. And you know, I went to bed meditating on this verse. And do you know what the Lord gave me? He gave me a picture of a sunset. You ever watch a sunset? You can see the sun just barely over the horizon, and then it gets lower and lower and starts getting darker and darker, and then it, it's out of sight, and suddenly things are, are much darker. Jesus is the light of the world, and we've got to trust in him for our salvation while we can during this lifetime. Otherwise, he'll be out of sight and out of reach. We've got to trust in him. So the final question that most people don't understand is, how is it with Jesus doing all these miracles and doing all this good and speaking all this truth that's amazing, how is it that people don't believe in Jesus? John 12, 37 to 40 will answer that. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Now watch this, this is very important. John 12, 37-40 goes on to say, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Which is a quote of Isaiah 53.1. For this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, quoting Isaiah 6, 9-10, he, he, that's speaking of God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Now this is very interesting, that in verse 37 it says that they would not believe, though they had seen the evidence for his divine sonship. In verse 39 it says they could not believe, because their hearts became hard and their eyes blind. Therefore God said they should not believe, verse 39, because they had spurned his grace. It goes back to that question, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Did Pharaoh harden his heart, or did God harden his heart? And the answer is yes. Pharaoh continuously hardened his heart, and God confirmed the hardness of his heart. So if you don't trust in Christ when you have the opportunity to, you become hardened and skeptical, and belligerent and defiant and darn gone stubborn in resisting the Lord, and then the Lord lets you go. He confirms that attitude of rejection, and you've made your choice. So we've looked at four things people don't understand about Jesus. Why did Mary anoint his feet? Because she was preparing him for burial un knowingly as part of God's plan. Why did Jesus ride on a donkey into Jerusalem? To show he was the humble prince of peace and was going to win us by dying for us, not by conquering the nations. And then 
Why did the Messiah suffer to die and die? So that our sin problem could be addressed first and foremost. And by the way, Jesus is coming back and he will rule over the nations forever. Part two is still on its way. Jesus is coming back. And then finally, we're to believe in Jesus and catch him before the sun sets. But if you keep rejecting him, your heart is going to get harder and harder and harder. It's going to be harder for you to believe. So trust in Jesus now while there's still time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we say thank you for all you have provided for us through his finished work on the cross. Thank you that the devil has been defeated. He's been marched through the arch of triumph and he's a defeated foe. Thank you that you have saved us, that we have come to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and our sins have been forgiven and we have the gift of eternal life and we are your children by faith. And Lord, for those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, may they right now, while they still have opportunity, Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you are Lord. Come into my life and save my soul. Father, we pray that they would not delay, but know now is the time of decision. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.